Hi, my name is Donna Paris. I'm a producer of In the Black Canada. When have you ever pushed yourself outside of your comfort zone? Taken on tasks that are both physically and mentally challenging. Mo Redhead, Devon M.D. Jones, Kate Fabian Farrell, and Sally Chuma are four amazing Black women who are doing just that. These women, along with a group of 20 other athletes, led by six extraordinary coaches, are participating on different teams to conquer a series of formidable physical challenges that has them traveling to many spectacularly beautiful settings across Canada. Recently, I was able to sit down with each of them to talk about their family's journey to Canada, what their lives were like growing up Black in Canada, how they became involved in fitness and wellness spaces, and their experiences of being on CBC's Canada's Ultimate Challenge. Be ready to be inspired as you listen to these women share their journeys of being participants on a program that showcases Canada's diversity and magnificence. Join me now as I chat with Devon M.D. Jones. I am so pleased to be here with Devon M.D. Jones, who was born in Winnipeg, Manitoba, August 3rd, 1978. Her ancestors hail from St. Vincent and the Grenadines. She has a brother and a sister she grew up with and six younger half-siblings. Devon is a member of Team Black and one of the incredible athletes on CBC Canada's Ultimate Challenge. Devon was once ranked fifth in Canada for triple jump, winning meets and setting records across North America as a varsity track athlete at the university level. In 2001, injuries sidelined Devon from competing professionally at the Olympic level. She is currently a stretch therapist and reflexologist living in Toronto. Welcome Devon MD Jones. It's great to be here with you today. Thank you for having me. We'll get to Canada's ultimate challenge, but first I want us to talk about your family and how they came from St. Vincent and the Grenadines to Winnipeg. Tell us about that journey for your parents, what life was like for a young Black couple living in Winnipeg. Well, it was a journey. <laughs> I've heard all about it. My father is very long-winded, where I get my long-windedness from. <laughs> so my father, Byron, he grew up as number four of 10 children. Him and my Uncle Jason were very, very close. My Uncle Jason is a year older than him. They had this grand plan that they wanted to go to Canada. They wanted bigger and better things. They felt they'd seen all they needed to see in St. Vincent. And so my father got a three-week visitor's visa to come to Canada. Within that three weeks that he came to Canada, he used that time to get himself a teaching job because he had experienced teaching in a one-room schoolhouse just outside of Winnipeg. And he used that to um, save some money, did that for a year, and then got his citizenship. Once he got that, he applied to university because it was so much cheaper for him to go to university, not as an international student. And he got his degree in Bachelor of Arts, specializing in political science and geography. He double majored. After he did that, he started bringing his family over. So that was 66 that he came to Winnipeg. He went back to St. Vincent in 1968, and that's where he was introduced to my mother. When my father left to come back to Canada, they wrote to each other for a full year. It took almost like probably about six months of them writing and then six to eight months to get her to be able to come to Canada. What was it like for them as a young Black couple living in Winnipeg? I think they were both trying to figure things out. 
My dad was still on his mission. My mom was the support system. So they came in 69 and they had about three and a half years together as just them before my brother came along in okay. 73. My dad was still going back to school. He finished school and then he's, they started joining boards. They started creating community. Winnipeg has the St. Vincent and the Grenadines Association of Manitoba. They joined the association to keep our culture, right? And still have people to connect with. My dad played cricket every Saturday growing up. We were at Assiniboine Park <laughs> playing cricket. And it was a funny story, though, when I asked my dad and I was like, so were you in like a Caribbean league of cricket? Like, because I remember going there and everybody was black. He was like, no, it's just because of when you came. Because when he came in the 60s, they still had the, what was it called? The white papers with immigration in Canada. For the most part, if you weren't white, you couldn't really immigrate to Canada before 1969. Pierre Elliott Trudeau is the one who changed that law in 1969. Mm -hmm. So my dad is an avid Trudeau fan. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's what allowed him to bring our family to Canada, right? Right. So he was like one of the few that got through before 69. So they had a community there already that they could connect with. What was it like their interactions with the non-Black community? They didn't really talk about it too much to us, but they did always prepare us. This is not our world. You're going to have to be smarter. You're going to have to work harder. My parents worked very hard to lose their accent to assimilate into the wider society. And my dad fought really hard. He was on the board of the Manitoba Cultural Advisory Team for schools. He stayed within teaching for years and years and years. He joined the Black Educators Association of Manitoba so that he could have a say in what we were taught in school. And what do you remember learning about Black history in school? Do you remember learning anything about it? Not in school. <laughs> and that's the thing. That's the good part about having educators in your family, right? So everything I think I learned about Black history was outside of school. I was a reader, right? I'd like anything to get my hands on. And I remember finding Essence Magazine, Black History Month. They had this one issue where they had like 100 most influential Black people in history. And it was like, it detailed them. And I literally got the magazine and I plastered my wall in my room with Black history. And I was just so, so obsessed with it. It, it probably goes to like my dad and his obsession, right? It gets passed down. He would talk to me about it. That's part of what kept us really, really close is that he would encourage me to talk about this. And then with being as part of the St. Vincent and the Grenadines Association, where we had events every single month, and some of them were more educational, some of them were fun. You know, we were very, very ingrained in the culture. And you know what? My parents aren't perfect. They made a lot of mistakes in life. But one thing that they did really, really well for us is helping us keep our culture and help us understand and be proud of our Blackness in a very, very white society. And the thing is, though, about the Essence magazine, that's very much Black American culture, yeah. right? Right. What did you know about other Black communities in Canada? When you grow up in a place where there's not a lot of Black people, where you're from doesn't matter. 
as much as your skin tone. We are just like, oh, you're black, I'm black. Okay, great. Let's be <laughs> if you're black, if you're brown, if you're Asian, you know what I mean? Like we all stuck together. We had our own table in high school where all of us would congregate. Like we had other friends from other, other worlds, but at lunchtime, we sat together because we could all fit on one table. So we were really the BIPOC, right? And that was a real thing that we encouraged and we loved about each other. And do you remember meeting people like me who are multi-generational Canadian? Not until university. So my friend Kim, she was multi-generational. So a lot of her family was Scotian and Bayesian. She okay. had a mix of both. Up until that point, I was like, there were black people from before? <laughs> there were black people that were born here for generations? That was my first introduction to it. Tell us about your journey as an athlete, especially your experience as a Black woman in sports. With anything, being an athlete gave me certain privileges, I would say, in society. Being an athlete and also being the daughter of a well-known teacher okay. gave me a different level of privilege that I didn't understand then, but I understand now. In junior high, I was voted most likely to go to the Olympics. And I got like athlete of the year. I played any and every sport. I was the team captain <laughs> and I just loved it. Right. But when I got to high school, I got humbled a little bit and I was like, oh, I'm not the best on every single team. Okay, great. So I got to choose which ones I want to be in. Great. So then I focused on basketball and track. On your website, you say you have to believe in what you're doing and get past your mental barriers to achieve success. I can imagine you had to take that mindset with you as you competed on Canada's ultimate challenge. What mental and maybe physical barriers did you have to push through? I'm about to be 45. <laughs> so I always joke that uh, I wish I had this 40-year-old brain with my 20-year-old body. <laughs> <laughs> like for real, because that 20-year-old body, it was strong, it was fast, I was lean aerodynamic, but I didn't have the mental stamina that I have now. And that confidence in it's confidence, but it's also an understanding of the fact of how mental a lot of the competition is. So there are many times within the competition where my body really wanted to give out, but my mental strength was like, nope, was like, we ain't going to do this. So there's one point, I'm sure it's probably on audio, where I was just like, my body was giving out and I start talking to myself and I talk to myself out loud, you know, since COVID times. <laughs> <laughs> and I started to say, I can't. And then all of a sudden I was like, no. And I stopped myself and I was like, I can do this. And I was like, literally, I can do this. I can do this. Just repeating it over and over, trying to create that positive affirmation. And then as soon as I started doing that, like start moving again. You know what I mean? When they really, really, really wanted to quit and facing fears. Like I am terrified of heights, like terrified, but I had already decided when I came on the show, I'm going to have to do things that I would not normally do, but I'm like, I'm here. And I always say, and when I'm training, when I'm working, when I teach boot camps, I always tell people that you get to that point of hard. I'm like, look, you're here, you might as well do it. Like, this is what you came here for. You got to the spot, you're going to face these fears. And I got to tell you, since doing the show, 
my fear of heights has gone from a 10 to about a six. Fantastic. Recently been in different situations where I was like, oh, I'm not afraid of being up here. I was like, okay, that's better. They were the most unbelievable challenges in some of the most amazing settings across the country. What was that like? How did it change you? And what was that experience like? As much as I say, like I grew up with a lot of confidence, you always hate using this because it's used so much, but you get a little bit of imposter syndrome and it comes and goes. And it's like, just because you've got confidence doesn't mean it stays at level 10 all the time, right? It goes through ebbs and flows of like, oh, I'm confident. And then something happens and it knocks your confidence back down, right? And then you have to build it back up. When I agreed to do the show, I was just kind of like, okay, yeah, we're going to do this show. Great, great, great. Literally a week before I was like, wait, what did I sign up for? <laughs> <laughs> like I had that moment of like, ugh. So then when you're doing it, it's just kind of like you're in it and you're just like learning every day and like trying one to fight the black woman, a stereotype of being the superwoman slash the boss. At a certain point, I was just like, I'm bossy. Let me embrace this. This is <laughs> part of my personality. I'm a Leo. I'm a natural born leader. Embrace the things that you were given. Right. Right. And so I embraced it. I pretty much became the captain of my team. I worked really well with Luke. My coach was Luke Wilson. And if you really look at it, Luke is 13 years younger than me. And we should say that Luke is a Super Bowl champion. And that's the thing, though. At the same time, he's 13 years younger than me, but his experience is different. And he has been an elite athlete for all of his life. I was an athlete, but he was an athlete. <laughs> <laughs> that respect for what he has endured, what he has overcome, all those things he brought into that challenge. And so we had a mutual respect for each other where we could work together really, really well and hear each other. And it wasn't all roses, you know? I, went, <laughs> I came here to win, right? I came here to win this whole thing. And so I literally went around the room and I talked to each of my teammates and I was like, look, I'm gonna need this from you. I'm gonna give you this, but I also need this from you. I need this from you, this from you. The change in our team's demeanor and the way that he talked to us and the way that he motivated us and came for us, you will see a major shift okay. happen within our team. Everything is based on choices that you make, right? So I made the choice of, look, my teammates might hate me, but I got to say what I got to say. That just opened the door to open communication. From that point on, I never hesitated to be like, hey, we messing up. <laughs> let's pull this together it really was a team oh. effort oh 100% team effort it's a constant battle of changing you can strategize as much as you want to but in the moment every single challenge there had to be a moment where somebody had to be coherent enough to be like this isn't working change real fast and that's the thing that I feel like I learned about myself more than anything that is the best part of who I am as a leader as a person, Luke would tell me like every single day, he'd be like, Devin M.D. Jones, you are the most mature person in this whole place. <laughs> and the thing is, I always joke because I think I'm just like, so I think I'm so immature, but I understand what he meant. And I embrace that. Him like 
telling me about myself, the things that I can't see in myself really, really took my confidence, took me to another level of understanding of who I am and created so many amazing relationships that I'm just going to cherish forever. Speaking about relationships, I want you to talk about the diversity on the show and what it was like seeing three other Black women there as well. That must have been something else. Well, let's go back to day one, because <laughs> day one was everything. And uh, I remember walking into breakfast and just kind of like looking around and I was like, I should add that my friend had joked that knew I was coming on. She was like, you're going to be the only Black person there. <laughs> she's like she's like if you're not the only black person you're gonna be the only black woman right <laughs> right because there's this myth that black women don't exercise even though black women athletes dominate all over the place so i'm like somebody's working out somewhere and <laughs> i walk in and i think the first person i saw was kate from yellow knife mm -hmm. and i was just like "Ooh, black girl cute <laughs> and then i turned to the left and i was like oh another black girl oh Another, I was like, one, you know how you count in your head? You're like, one, two, three, four, four. So when I walked in though, put my bag down at a random table and then I went to go get food. So I, like Kate was one of the first people I talked to and I was like, wait, yellow knife? And I felt like I'm like the people that come to me and be like, there's black people in Winnipeg. And I was like, there's black people in yellow knife? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, wait, how'd you get there? What's going on? Like, I need to know everything. Like, I need to understand this. Like, people ask me how we ended up in Winnipeg. I'm like, they went, they took it to the next level. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was amazing. And like, literally, I think it was like, when we got to Hinton, I was just like, excuse me, we need a black girl picture. We need, <laughs> like, like, this is historical. And then we brought all the black boys into it later. <laughs> so we... I was like, we need this picture. I was like, I am not leaving here without it. I was like, I started planting the seeds from day one. I was like, we're going to get a picture. We're going to get a picture. It, it was like high school again. Why should people watch Canada's Ultimate Challenge? Canada's Ultimate Challenge, the biggest thing for me in going into it was the amount of diversity in the coaches, in the cast, and in the crew. A lot of people don't know the behind the scenes and what's going on back there and behind there, but it was a pretty diverse crew. I've done TV before and it did not look like that behind the scenes. <laughs> In front and back, it never looked. I've done Canadian television before and it, and it didn't look like that. So that was really refreshing and it creates a certain amount of safety too, where you feel like you can be more of yourself you don't have to be that character. I was joking with Kate recently that I was very aware of not twerking or whining or dancing too much because <laughs> you're like, you're trying, like, you don't want to be a stereotype. But I think there is one time where I was like, you know, I got a little safe. <laughs> I got a little comfortable. So if you see me dance, know that I was comfortable. Take that, take that <laughs> part of it, that I was comfortable and I felt safe in that space. Up until that moment, I was like, we are not dancing on camera. We're not crying <laughs> on camera. We're not dancing on camera. We are represented. You know, like there's all that, that pressure is still there, but you know. <laughs> <laughs>
been such a pleasure spending time with you. Is there anything else that you'd like to share before we end? One of the things that inspired me is that um, my story matters. It inspired me to write a book. So I'm actually writing a book. And I think the thing that made me hesitate is that imposter syndrome of, of like, who's going to read this? But I was reminded that my story matters. I have a voice and I've lived a lot of life and I have a lot of things to tell and experience and starting from my parents all the way to now and for the future. And so I want, I want to leave my mark in writing. So fantastic. There's yeah. a lot of little black girls and others who are really going to be helped by whatever it is that you're going to share. It's amazing. Thank you so much for spending this time with me. Devin M.D. Jones. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I loved it. <laughs> we hope you have enjoyed listening to and been inspired by Devin M.D. Jones, Sally Schuma, Kate Fabian Farrell, and Mo Redhead. You can catch their stories on our website in theblackcanada.ca, where you will also find all the seasons and episodes of the I Am Black History podcast. Thanks for joining us.